Welcome everyone to a special March Madness edition of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. Hopefully everyone's brackets are in better shape than mine because mine did not last too long into the tournament before it was crumpled up and thrown out. I had Illinois going all the way to the final. I had Ohio State making the final four. Just a disaster over here in the Skinner household when it came to picking them this year. Big Ten let me down huge, which is why we actually brought on two Big Ten experts to help us walk through the dumpster fire that was the Big Ten's performance at this year's Big Dance there. So we've got Marcus and Spencer who are podcast hosts of the Big Thoughts podcast, which covers all sports across the Big 10 conference so they're going to break down what went wrong what went right for michigan how far they can go is this gonzaga's year and more so we do a deep dive on all of that fun stuff also really want to encourage everyone to make sure you tune into at least one of the women's march madness games this year even if you've never watched it before super high level basketball we got some great canadian women who are actually competing in the tournament this year as well too uh, some of them are from ottawa as well so shout out to all the ladies who are representing south of the border there everyone's probably heard about the fiasco that was the weight rooms the swag bags the food differences so now more than ever, let's show them some support and uh, tune into at least a game or two there and uh, help grow the women's side of the game because high, high level athletes who just don't get the same kind of coverage as the men's side. And that's something that we need to get changed. So without further ado, let's break down the disaster that was the Big Ten's performance at March Madness this year with Marcus and Spencer. All right, and joining us on the podcast today, we've got two special guests. We've got Marcus and Spencer from the Big Thoughts podcast, which covers the entire NCAA landscape with a Big Ten focus. Today, we are going to be talking about the Big Dance itself and specifically what went wrong with the Big Ten this year. Sent the most teams of any major conference, and all we've got left standing is Michigan at the end of the day here. So, right off the top, what happened in the first two rounds here, boys? Um, well, to start off, my team won one more game than anyone thought they would win. Wisconsin beat UNC, so I felt a little bit better about that. But, yeah, pretty slim pickings for the Big Ten. Really promising um, in a, a conference season that everyone thought was so competitive and maybe untouchable in the tournament. Um they were wrong. Well, I was wrong, too, because I had a slew of Big Ten teams making it at least further than the first round there. And obviously, we'll go through the nitty gritty of each actual team and how they fared. But were you guys surprised by the poor performance, not only over the course of the tournament, but just even in the first round and some of the upsets that you guys saw? As far as the Big Ten goes, I think definitely only because, as Marcus kind of alluded to, and you in the intro, like, they were such a strong conference, you know, but the problem is, I think when you, when you get deep into those games, like you're beating up on each other, you know, you're, you're going at it every single night, the big 10, you know, that those guys are grown men. I mean, Kofi Coburn, he's out there. He, he could go to the NBA right now. And, you know, then you look at a guy from Loyola, the, the guy with the mustache who looks like Farva. I mean, yeah, he, he like just took him apart. And I, it's just, 
I think it, it's attributed to the league, really. Like, I think it's strength, but also like a weakness. You know, when you don't really have any bottom feeders, you know, you got a couple in maybe Nebraska, Northwestern, but. Yeah, from top to bottom, it was uh, a really strong conference. And obviously the seeding represented that as well, too. Getting a lot of high seeds, ones, twos, all the way down. In a weird year, though, with limited fans at best or no fans for a large portion of the season as well, too. Big 10 ends up moving their conference tournament to Lucas Oil Stadium. So a lot of these teams had already been on site for much longer than just the normal March Madness period. Do you guys think in some weird way being on site for so long actually worked against the Big 10 in this tournament? I I think for teams that play notoriously poor on the road, sure. But for, for teams that are settled in and that who, who played well all year in any, any place, any building, I, I think that that would have been an advantage to be there for a week before um, and then play in, in Lucas oil. So for these grown teams who have maybe played a few conference or um, NCAA tournament games in that building already, that, that shouldn't have been a huge issue um, staying there for a week longer, but. I, yeah, and I think if anything hurt them, it was uh, having to play at Mackey, Mackey Arena where Purdue plays because there's a lot like Ohio State. I think they haven't, you know, or no, Wisconsin hadn't won a game for like 15 straight tries at that arena, you know, and obviously that's against Purdue and they play everybody pretty tough. But, you know, Ohio State, like it, there's so many teams that had that like chance, you know, Purdue got taken overtime by North Texas, North Texas wins like Ohio State great look from Dwayne Washington. He's just a little bit off. So a little bit of it is March. And I think, I think going back to your original question, like being in Indianapolis, like being in the bubble, I think helped, but the environment might've thrown them off, especially, you know, moving away even from Lucas oil stadium. Cause they had played however, you know, the whole tournament there. Right. And then they go to where Butler plays and Mackey and that might've thrown them off. I think more than maybe the football stadium. I, th- I think too, maybe, sorry, I didn't mention, but, um, for most of these guys in the Big Ten, at least, it was the first time that they had fans all year. And, you know, go from no fans to even 3,000 or whatever. And that that's kind of crazy. So I, I think that might have – that could have played an effect too is definitely the, the, the environment of the actual gameplay more than, like, being there yeah. a week early. Sorry. You know, we're, we're talking about the actual venues here. One thing that at least I didn't notice – playing much of a role in it and I can't remember the name of the actual state but one of them that's got the big windows and all the the light coming through like those afternoon games I am amazed that the light right around the three-point line didn't play more of a factor in that or, or maybe it did maybe it did shy away some people from launching up some trays late in games but like were you a little bit surprised and just even seeing that they didn't put up curtains or anything and give sort of an equal advantage to both teams because it's got to be a little bit tough being on that one end if you've got a 2 p.m tip off yeah i think it could definitely play into it i've i've only been into lucas oil stadium two times and it was not for for sports actually um I don't know. They've played enough national championships there, but I suppose those are played at night that, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. There haven't been any regional games played um, in the middle of the afternoon there. So it is an interesting point. Well, I, I definitely saw it when with the arena you're talking about where Butler plays Florida played there and they shot like right into it in the first half. And that almost kind of made me think like, you know, 
when you're in a football game, you normally choose which side you want to be on, whatever, in the coin toss. And, you know, if you're in college, you usually put them against the crowd of the team. So I'm like, all right, while Florida's shooting their first half, they'll have Virginia Tech shoot their second half. Maybe it's going to get in their head. Who knows? And they end up pulling it out. So I think it maybe affects definitely, like you said, a three-point shooter in the corner. I mean, I didn't see a lot of them get thrown over there, which could have been the offenses. But I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to shoot with the sun in my eyes. I know that. Might as well start with arguably the biggest upset of the tournament so far. You've got number two, Ohio State, falling to Oral Roberts. Like I said earlier, I had Ohio State going to the final four. So I I definitely didn't see this one coming. What stood out to you guys watching this actually unfold in real time? Well, I I think it first jumps off the page. And uh, we talked about it on our podcast yesterday that that Acemas for Oral Roberts is the nation's leading scorer and that didn't get talked about all year. It didn't get talked about really until after the game and people went, Oh, he had 29 points against Ohio state. Huh? Uh, I think that he deserves that credit. Um, Another case kind of like John Morant coming out of Murray state a few years ago, where just no respect because of the school that they were at, but he can just hoop. So that really jumped off the page. But as far as Ohio state, Liddell kind of got into foul trouble um, and that did not help him out. He had a good game. He had 23, 14 and five, which it's all you can ask for really. But what, what more could have he had if he wouldn't have gotten a foul trouble? Um, and then obviously that your best player gets a wide open shot at the end of the game. And there's only a few other people in the big 10 who I'd rather have that shot in that moment than Dwayne Washington. And he didn't hit it. Um that that's my quick thoughts on it that jumped off the page that Acemas deserves more credit than he's getting. And maybe, maybe he just beat a good Ohio state team. Maybe Ohio state didn't play that poorly. Well, I think too, one of the keys definitely for like these uh, lower seeds is just getting out early and really like proving, Hey, like we're going to run with these guys. You know, we're not afraid of the, the big town. We're not afraid of the two seed. And I think that's what they did. You know, they got, they were up, I think six with like, you know, 10 minutes, whatever. It's a, you know, a lot of game left, but still, you know, you're up six, 10 minutes in, like you're thinking, Hey, we can do this. Like, you know, keep playing our game and everything. And honestly, they, they kept showing the Ohio state players and it looked like they, like they were just shocked. Like they almost weren't ready for that. They did, it almost seemed like to me, they didn't take it as serious as they maybe should have. And I think that can, you know, especially in March, that can be a factor when you're looking ahead, you know, you're thinking, all right, we're, the, we're like the fourth game. We already know Florida beat Virginia Tech. You kind of let that creep into your head. I think that might have played a part of it. But as Marcus said, I mean, you get a great look at the end of the game at a three-pointer, and you just miss it. And, I mean, sometimes that's just how it goes. You know, the rock doesn't go in or it takes a weird bounce. And I don't know. They just looked a little flat-footed to me, I think. Do you think it is just that classic trap game? We're already looking ahead to the round of 32 here, and – didn't give Oral Roberts the respect they deserve because as you were alluding to earlier, their smaller school doesn't get sort of the national attention that some of the bigger schools do from the power conferences. I think it might be a classic trap game. Ohio state was depends whose eyes you look at the best team in the big 10 this year, or, you know, for sure. Top three. And at times they had their way with anyone that they were playing this year. So I think it's a classic trap game. Spencer, you use that a lot. Um, referring to hockey, they fell right into it. I mean, you look at Ohio State's numbers, and I think they ended up shooting 41% from the field. Maybe it was a little lower than that, but it didn't happen there. They just got outplayed. 
Yeah, this is March. I think that's what it just boils <laughs> down to, honestly. You know, one team wants it bad, and the other one just wasn't ready for it. So we already talked about EJ Liddell, and he ended up going public after the game with all the death threats he was getting and the online harassment, deactivated some of the social media accounts, especially this day and age where you would expect everyone to sort of know better moving forward, and these things can sort of get traced back to you. Why even bother going through that? But in the pantheon of like bad sports fans, where do you rank these people who create these burner accounts and go out there and, and just say the most vile things on the internet? Creating burner accounts, or I think some of these were even just from people's regular accounts mm-hmm. and sending death threats to amateur athletes. Well, A, it's not cool to send it to pro athletes. You, you don't think that they want to win the game as well? Like, come on, people. They, they, I guarantee you they want to win more than you want them to win i promise you that um so there's you know it's no place in sport for it at all it's just childish and what's it prove you you scare the daylight out of a 20 year old so tough uh so if at least in my opinion i can't fathom a time or place where death threats to anyone in really any circumstance make sense but especially to a an amateur college athlete that that just lost a a tough game it's a sport yeah i mean that's what it boils down to it's a game you know i mean it yeah you want to you want to have pride whatever but that's not the way to do it especially like and then you claim that you're a you know an ohio state fan like a fan wouldn't come after your team like that you know you're you're there to support them and when they lose you know you prop them up you don't try to tear them down i mean it's it really in my eyes it has no room in in anything in sports i mean it's just it's it makes a bad name for everybody else. I think, you know, and it just, there's no room for it, honestly. Well, and it's another thing too, in my opinion, if you want to be criticized, like if you want to be critical of that player, even openly on social media, go for it. Say they had a bad game, say they weren't rebounding, say they didn't make enough shots, but like, you can't, you can't be threatening people's lives. Like that. that's a, just a whole that takes it outside of sports that takes it like very much into the real immediate world. And there are like crazy people out there. So even if you didn't mean it that like those threats just go so much further than people think they do. So well, not cool. say, to, to me, they're the absolute bottom of the barrel, the people that go out and do this, whether it's from their own accounts or burner accounts or anything else in between there, you know, like you said, especially when we're talking about athletes who are pretty much still kids at this point here, there's no place for it in professional sports, let alone when we're actually dealing with kids who are maybe a year removed from high school, if that at this point. So I, I rank them dead last right behind guy who gets too drunk in the kids section and, and ruins the experience for all the kids. <laughs> And then right behind the guy who says he's a hardcore sports fan. And then you ask him, who do you cheer for? And he goes, Lakers, Yankees, and Cowboys. So that's my checking order for for where I'm going to put these guys. Moving on, another shocker, obviously, was North Texas downing Purdue, home state. Given the fact that North Texas had never even won a March Madness game before this, was this more or less shocking to you than the Ohio State upset? Because it was Matt Painter and he's a really good coach, it it puts a little bit different of a thought of it in my head. Um, I don't think it makes it any worse for Purdue that it, North Texas got their first win. It's just a bad coaching job, bad execution by a very good coach who is usually better than that in March. Um, they have a seven foot three player um, that had zero points. That Edie, that's inexcusable. 
I don't think anyone on North Texas had anyone that resembled that type of stature. So pretty tough to excuse that. Uh, That jumps off the page right away. Um, But I think it's a coaching job. Um, They didn't have a ton of turnovers so that, you know, it wasn't up into the twenties. So it's not like, Oh, okay. If we would have had less turnovers, just got beat again. Team that had nothing to lose came out and beat them. Yeah, the mean green, you know, they really came at him, like you said. Um, and again, I, we, we've, we've done the math. You know, when, you, when you're when you 7'3 and you put your arms up, that's got to be pretty close to 10 feet, right? I mean, you would think. And the thing that I don't understand about Purdue, they're traditionally, you know, they have Caleb Swanigan, Matt Harms, two guys that they've had for the last four years who have now moved on, Matt Harms at BYU, Caleb Swanigan in the NBA. You know, they know how to work through with centers, like with dynamic centers and forwards who are tall. And I don't understand, and maybe I'm just, you know, not a big brain basketball guy, but like if you're tall and you have an arm reach that's taller than everybody else in the court, like throw it down low and try to try to either draw a foul or just put it in the hoop. And I get that's way simpler and you know, easier said than done. But I like what Marcus said. I mean, if he's got zero points, I feel like you gotta try to force something. And if, even if they're double teaming them, I mean they had they have the players, they have the guys to do it. So I think again, you know, it's, I guess we're making, taking the easy way out maybe, but they just, they got outplayed. I mean, I think that's just kind of what it comes down to. I'm just trying not to leave out the guys from some of these smaller teams that did have like very exceptional games. I believe his last name was Hamlet. He went 24, 12 and five. And for a small school like that um, on the big stage, you like seeing play, or, you know, even it's, even though it's against the big 10 and I want the big 10 to win, you like to see stuff like that happen. Well, I was going to say, you guys have obviously watched the Big Ten over the course of the entire season, whereas a lot of people are just tuning in for the actual tournament itself. So they see Purdue go out and get beat on essentially a home court or as close to a home court as they can get. Is this something that has been a problem all season long where they haven't been able to force it down low and get their bigs involved? And when they can't, that's their unraveling? Or is this a pretty unique game in how it actually played out? At least in my opinion, Edie doesn't start. The tall guy doesn't start. It hasn't started all year, which to me, I guess, raises questions. I think the the reason he doesn't start is his footwork is questionable. He travels occasionally. So, and he's young too. Yeah. He's a, he's a young, young forward or a young center. So he needs to learn like his skills aren't that great yet. That, that is a fact, but he's just so tall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, this. when, so I, when they played the Gophers, the Gophers beat him by three in February and Zach Edie, he was four for six with 13 points. You know, they lost by three. The Gophers played an outstanding game. They didn't have a great year. I think it's partially to blame, you know, when the bigs aren't involved, definitely. I think that falls into it, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's tough to gauge only because I haven't seen any North Texas game. You know, if they got, if they have a dynamic guard, the North Texas, your bigs really don't matter because he can, you know, he'll dribble around. He can go isolation and just shoot the, the lights out of the gym. So I think that overall in Big Ten play, I mean, you saw teams get blown out by 20 and then win the next game by 30. So I think Purdue's a very balanced team. And when, as you said, or as your question stated, you know, when they get off kilter, then things can go astray. And if your big man has zero points, I think things went a little astray only because, you know, Usually you get one board, throw it up, something like that. So they may have been a tad overrated um, in terms of their seating, potentially not saying that that would have helped or hurt them. Or, you know, a higher seating you'd imagine would help you play a worse team, quote unquote, 
But the first half of the Big Ten season was eh, all right for them. And then while Michigan, Illinois, and Ohio State were going crazy, and while Wisconsin was having a little bit of a downfall, all of a sudden Purdue is the four seed in the Big Ten tournament. And everyone kind of went, huh, okay, well, I mean, I guess the wins match, but no one like really knew what they had. So I guess some of their wins, uh, some of their wins that they might've had were trap games in the regular season against some of these really good big 10 teams. So maybe potentially a a tad bit overrated, um, but that could be reaching from my end. Before we, we, we move on there, you mentioned Minnesota there. We've got a shout out, good old Canadian kid, Marcus Carr there for the Golden Gophers. So hopefully uh, he continues to have success. But of the higher seeds that did make the tournament, we, we, we'll just sort of lump them together. So your Wisconsin's, your Rutgers, your Maryland's, your Michigan State's. Did these teams essentially do as well as you guys figured they would in this tournament? Or did either of you have any of those four teams pegged is actually going on a bit of a run and going deep into the tournament. No, I personally (laughs) didn't. Um, As much as I wanted to take Wisconsin a little further, just because of being a homer and being a fan, um, I had them losing to Baylor. So I think all of these teams going into it based off of what we saw in the big 10 regular season, a lot of us had a lot of big 10 teams winning even if they were the underdog or the, the higher seed per se, um, or, you know, Rutgers almost, almost beat Houston. They, they had a real chance to beat Houston. Um, you know, that's all, but one literally inch of the basket away from going into overtime. So that is what it is. And then you look at Wisconsin, them losing to Baylor by 13. I'm, I'm actually cool with that. Wisconsin, they fell off. Um, the UNC game winning by 23 was a surprise winning by that much. Everyone thought that'd be a 50, 50, who knows what the score is going to be type of game, but Baylor's tough. (laughs) They're, they're long and fast and we had nothing to say for that, but that wasn't necessarily a huge surprise. And then Maryland, I thought Maryland played fine. I thought that they ran into a tough team in Alabama. They they lost by 20. Um, Maryland played fine in the big 10 season. They did pretty much exactly what we thought they would do um that alabama team can run so yeah no surprises yeah really i mean the only team that i thought not a deep run but would do better than they did was michigan state for sure um i thought you know the tom Izzo magic he was kind of turning it on right at the end of the year they they won i think five straight games to kind of like bump their seat up in the big 10 tournament and then to ultimately, you know, earn a playing spot. And they were, they were winning that game against UCLA for most of the, most of the game, I think. And UCLA came back in the last couple of minutes there, but I thought they would beat UCLA. And then I had them against uh, BYU beating them, which UCLA ultimately did. But I was surprised that they didn't, you know, Tom Izzo just maybe didn't have the players this year that he needed or a younger team. Um, the Maryland, I had UConn winning. I, you know, for being a big 10 podcast, I had a lot of big 10 teams, um, kind of getting beat right away which I don't know if that's good or not but they like like Marcus said I mean Alabama like as much parity as there is in college basketball this year there's still those you know three to four teams that you just kind of say you look at and you go that they're they're the you know the x factor they're the team that is they're going to go to the final four Gonzaga I think Alabama Baylor they're just you know head and shoulders above everybody else and then you get to Illinois, which I thought, you know, 
can't Oof. stop can't stop them and then Loyola decided that they can stop them so <laughs> I thought maybe Wisconsin's success in years past in the tournament being able to make a few runs obviously um, and them having so much experience may have provided them the ability to beat Baylor and with the way they played against UNC or you know I didn't pick Wisconsin to beat Baylor I picked Baylor to win that game in my bracket but after I watched that UNC game I went oh Okay, um, that, that's cool. I mean, if they play like that again, they could have beat Baylor. So just so up and down, um, Wisconsin ended up being so inconsistent. And the two games in the tournament, you saw the exact, exact example of that. Lights out against UNC, not much to show for against Baylor. So I think those high seeds did whatever. Encompassing even just the regular season and the Big Ten tournament and all of that as well, too. If you're just looking at those four teams, who are you most impressed with and who are you most disappointed with based on how this whole season rolled out of those four teams that bowed out early? Well, I think considering Wisconsin was ranked fourth in the country at one point this year, you'd have to imagine them just being a nine seed is really disappointing to begin with. Um, and I'll be honest about that. I hate saying that out loud. So if you want to look at it that way in a real overhaul, that's super disappointing um, to start with. But yeah, I don't know. I think that I think Mark Turgeon thought out Maryland that he would have a better team this year. Um, I, I think that there's a case to be made that it seemed like there was a little bit of drama that surrounded that team late in the regular season. Um, even the things going on when they played Michigan um, that no one really had a clear answer to. And then with Rutgers, you look at their roster, um, Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr., um, and you see names like that, and you go, dang, you know, these guys can hoop, and you have two of them on the same team, and you'd have thought that maybe in the regular season they'd be able to just do a little more as well. But that Big Ten was a buzz, it was a buzzsaw, and the, the top three teams in the Big Ten this year didn't play any games with the, the, the lower, the lower end of the big 10. There was no, no stone left unturned in terms of uh, trying to win those games. Yeah, I was, I was really, honestly, I'm super impressed with Rutgers. I mean, I think they get, they take a lot of flack because I mean, in football, they, they're probably the worst team in the conference. I don't think anybody would argue with that. And like, just, I mean, they're, they're the basement feeders. Like they're the bottom feeders. Like, and I don't know, Steve Pickerel, their coach, he's, he's a great coach. Um, you know, he's always, they, they play with so much, like, I want to say enthusiasm and passion, even though in the years before they haven't been great record. And I think this year, if there would have been like full fans, no COVID, the rack is so hard to win. And even when, even when Rutgers struggles and I, I'm just, you know, I was super impressed with them as, you know, Geo Baker, Ron Harper. I mean, for a long time, it was the Geo Baker show and, whoever that guy was the you know the other guys on the uh on the roster and he finally has somebody he can kind of play off of and play with and I think that they you know opened some eyes and especially if they would have beaten Houston that would have been a huge win for them especially in recruiting especially with how the Big Ten has struggled in the tournament but I was super impressed with them and I mean they make one dunk and I think that game's over but that's March it's how it goes with Maryland uh the Omaruye who plays for Oregon who had a really, really, really nice uh, game against Iowa. He just transferred from Maryland. And when you look at that Oregon team now and how good he's doing and considering he probably should still be on that Maryland team, if they would have just put more people around him, that hurts. 
Uh, uh, I think that that um, hasn't necessarily, hasn't necessarily gotten talked about a ton, but that Omarouye stepped away from Maryland and is like the best player in Oregon now and a team that looks like they're about to go streaking a little bit. So, well, that, that's a good segue into our, our next point here is number two seeded Iowa makes it to the second round, but then gets worked essentially by number seven, Oregon, 95-80. Is this a case where Iowa got seeded too high and maybe they weren't as good as everyone really made them out to be? Or did they just run into a hot team at the wrong time against the Ducks? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm partial to the to Oregon only because they, they seem to line up against the Badgers in a lot of sports and they always seem to win. So I'm a big fan of the Ducks. Um, I think Iowa definitely had their moments and I mean when you have a player like Luca Garza I mean you're talking about a wooden award finalist arguably the best player in the nation but he didn't have his backup in this game that's tough because if he got in foul trouble you knew it was going to be bad for Iowa you have a guy like Wisecamp when he's hot he's hot and when he's when he can't hit the basket he's not going to make anything and you got another guy uh, Bohannon who really he's a very solid basketball player and a lot of like facets but he also isn't like an exceptional like he's really good at passing the ball or he's a really good shooter he's just like a very pretty like overall he's a good player right but not like at the elite level i would say he's a three-point specialist average everywhere else sure yeah that's a good way to put it so oregon comes in they don't play their first game or they win the greatest defensive battle of all time if you just look at the box score one one to zero (laughs) however you want to choose to look at it and they come in fresh i think that helps i mean iowa who did they play before Grand Canyon? They only won by 12. So Grand Canyon gave him a fight. I think that plays part into it. Um, I don't think they were overseeded. I think they earned their two seed. Definitely. I mean, they, they made a pretty deep run in the big 10 tournament, but again, you know, when you're tired and you kind of run through Luca Garza the whole year with the big 10 being a little bit of a slower league, especially compared to the pac 12, you know, you run into a team, as you said, ducks were hot, you know, they can shoot the ball when they're on, they're on. And, again i mean that's it it all it all happens with who you match up against i think uh a it was and we could see this in the big 10 but usually the other players on iowa shot shot their way out of it but when luca garza gets tired he gets so tired i mean like a a different type of player tired um he starts to you know kind of drag his feet up the floor and i'm not saying that he's a lazy player by any means he's so talented but I think he got overworked potentially this year. And I think a, uh, a hard played game against Grant Canyon was not what they were expecting necessarily. Like Spencer said, and then this game, it just, he had to play a ton and he had to run a ton and he looked tired. Um, and then I think maybe too, it should be mentioned that, you know, you don't want to go at uh, people are allowed to have do whatever they want with their social media and that, but Jay, uh, Bohannon was so busy on social media in the last week before that game, arguing with literally anyone he could argue with. It seemed like on Twitter. And I'm not saying some of the things he didn't say weren't valid or that the points weren't valid, but he had zero points against Oregon. He was talking a lot of trash about how good he is and uh, having the, second most made threes in big 10 history to have zero points in uh for a two seed. So take that, take that how you will that, that, but that could have played a little bit part of it. Um, obviously brackets were hurt by that, but to agree with Spencer, I think that I would deserved every ounce of that two seed um, tough team. 
And when, when their shooters were hot, an impossible team to beat because if Garza gets double teamed, it, it doesn't matter if they're making shots. Good luck. That's exactly how the NBA works is a big drive it, take it inside as far as you can. If it doesn't work, throw it to one of four guys who almost undoubtedly will make a three. So yeah, it's sometimes just the way it rolls, I guess, for teams that, that live and die by that. Is this the theme of the tournament, though, that you would say where, because of whatever you want to call it, the East Coast bias or whatever, where Big Ten teams essentially got overrated, and because they're on the West Coast, the Pac-12 teams all got underrated, because if you look at their record, Pac-12 is 10-1 and in this tournament and have four teams in the Sweet 16, and it's just a wasteland of Big Ten corpses out there. I think that the Big Ten bias, um, and maybe... Well, I'll speak for myself, Spencer, maybe you felt biased to it too, but I think we thought the big 10 as a whole was so much better than everyone else because of the style that the big 10 plays, um, high percentage shooting, not a ton of possessions, low turnovers and great defense. And what happened to all the losses that the big 10 took this last weekend? It was against teams that wanted to run. They didn't care about playing defense. They didn't care about really how many points were scored against them. We're just going to score more points than you and outrun you. And the Big Ten looked tired. Um, And Spencer said earlier um, about, I forget who, looking flat-footed, but all the Big Ten teams look flat-footed. Yeah, all the Big Ten teams really look flat-footed. Michigan, you could argue they could have lost that game. They were down by 10 points, I think, with eight minutes left maybe in that game. Made a, made a nice comeback. I'm sure we'll get to that in a second, but I think the Big Ten needs to have a real big wake-up call about how in love they want to get with, oh, hardy, defense, rebounds. You know, maybe it's time to get out and run a little bit and worry a little less about uh, having 12 turnovers instead of eight. I think I think you're right, definitely, and the physicality, too. I mean, in the Big Ten, like – uh, you you look at all the people who are the centers in the like mock drafts and you know, it's Hunter Dickinson, it's Luca Garza. It's all these center Kofi. It's all these guys from these big 10 schools and they're all huge and they can throw their weight around and everything. But like Marcus said, I mean, you get a team like Oregon who runs and just throws the ball and hits threes and doesn't miss shots and, you know, plays enough defense, but also scores 95 points. And it's like, all right, score 96. Like we dare you to, you know, it's, it reminds me of how the big East kind of was, you know, it was rough and tough and we're going to pound you into the ground. And I think the part of the problem with the big 10 maybe is every team plays that way because they're kind of forced to in the conference. Like if you try to run, if you got the athletes and you can do it, you can win. No doubt, no doubt about it. But if you're kind of a mix between the both, you, you can't win because you can't throw down low because you don't have the bodies with the forwards. And if you don't have the guards to run, your big guys can't keep up with them. So it's, it's kind of a lose, lose. Like you got to either choose that you're going to try to just outplay everybody and, you know, shoot and have ISOs. And that's probably not going to work in the big 10 just as a league. And then, I mean, it might work in the tournament, but if you can't win your league or, you know, finish in the top six, you're not going to make the tournament. As if all of that wasn't bad enough. Then we get to number one seed, Illinois. Winners of the Big Ten Championship, blowing up brackets around the world, going out in the second round. Loyola is a good team. Uh, you know, some people had them ranked as high as number nine in the country, depending on what metric you're going by here. But at the end of the day, what do you attribute this loss more to? Did Loyola just go out there and earn it? Or is this more of a, a line I choke in your mind? 
I think when you look at that Loyola team, they, you know, this is, they had a lot of people who went to that final four from only two years ago. A lot of those guys are seniors this year. They're still on the team. They have a lot of experience. They know how to, they know how to, you know, clutch up in clutch times. Porter Mosier is a great coach. You know, he'll get offers. He'll get a call from Indiana. I'm sure he'll get a bunch of calls from a bunch of different big schools, power five schools. And when you look at Illinois, they don't have a lot of experience in the tournament and not that experience is everything. Cause you know, you had teams who have gone there four straight years and they get bounced every year in the round of 32 and whatever. Yeah. They've been there four years. They don't have the playmakers, Bad but Illinois had a dynamic guard, a dynamic big man. They had guys who would come off the bench who could shoot the ball. They have a good coach in Brad Underwood and they just, I, I don't know. They didn't have it. They just, they didn't have it. And again, I, I want, I almost think that it chalks up to experience because Loyola has been, you know, kind of overlooked, maybe overshadowed, as you said, in Ken Palm, they were number nine. Maybe the NCAA set that up for a reason. You know, they want, I, I don't know if the NCAA does this, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, you put a team at a lower seed, you try to get some upsets, try to generate, you know, more entertainment value. And I, I just think Loyola kind of just came out there and was like, Hey, we got nothing to lose one and two. We know how to win these games. And Illinois just could not, they couldn't break that double team on Kofi and they couldn't stop Farva. I mean, that's, that's what it comes <laughs> down to for me, you know? Well, I agree. And uh, you mentioned the Ken Palm rankings and them being actually ranked 22nd like that alone. I, you know, I know Ken Palm isn't official, but it's taken in pretty high regard about how he throws these statistics together and what his thoughts on these teams are. I mean, ESPN for sure. They talk about it a lot, but when you look at the sumo, a guy who some say other than Cade Cunningham out of Oklahoma state is the f- number one overall pick in this year's NBA draft. He only had nine points in NBA ready or, you know, the number one draft picks right now in the NBA are ready to play in the NBA right now. And a number one draft pick NBA ready player doesn't have nine points. No, no matter how good the team is, I, I would have thought for sure in the tournament, he would have found a way, whether it is getting to the free throw line or however to come up with 15 points or, you know, at least the season average are a little higher. Just the seating was, how can you look at a 22nd ranked team and say that they're a nine seed? How how do the same people that put the rankings together then say that, ah, no, they're what 40th ranked in the country versus what we just had them at 22. It is a little weird. And Spencer to the NCAA, maybe lining that up. Oh, gee, shocker. Wouldn't be the first weird thing the NCAA has done. So I don't know. I think Loyola is highly underrated. I think they're a very, very, very good basketball team. And I think that Illinois didn't know what to think. Oh, okay. It's happening. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, just not ready. Plus, you had Sister Jean with a pregame prayer, so you know that that's just that wasn't going for you. I mean, well, anybody with Sister Jean when you got her magic working, that's just it's bad well, news bears. It was a Sunday. Don't want to play Loyola on yep, a Sunday. Things right. don't work out. Anytime you go against that kind of Sister Jean sort of good juju, there, it's uh, not going to bode well for you. I think there's a little something extra going on for sure. But you bring up an interesting point, though, where people, regardless of the year, are always griping about, okay, they're giving too much East Coast bias, and it's reflected in the rankings here, and this team should be seated here, and they got slighted in their whatever 11 seed, especially given the fact that there have been so many upsets this year. Is this the year where 
coming out of the tournament, we take a long, hard look at it and we go, okay, what is really this selection process and does it need to get revisited or because the NCAA is the NCAA and they don't change anything unless there's a gun to their head. Is this just going to be just another example of their ineptitude at selecting teams properly? A lot of things are different because Duke is not in the NCAA tournament this year. <laughs> I, I really do. I think if Duke is good again next year, like where they normally are or, you know, almost a guaranteed top five seed, I think there's no chance you see a change of seeing mid-majors get ranked higher. I just don't think so. If we see another year of a UNC being forced to win 10 games to make the tournament, uh, Kentucky not making the tournament, a Duke not making the tournament, then you'll start to see consistent love for mid-majors. But until that happens, like you said, with the NCAA not changing anything unless there's a gun to their head, it's going to be tough. Until the Blue Bloods change, it's going to be tough. Well, and I think that's why it's so important for Gonzaga to maybe win this whole thing. Because yeah. if they go undefeated and they're the first team to go undefeated in a season since 85 Indiana, I mean, that that's going to really force a lot of people to kind of rethink. Like, you know, Gonzaga has had, I think, three or less losses the last four to five years, right? They might be an outlier in there somewhere. But it seems to me that, yes, they do play in the WCC, but – you know, if they drop one WCC game, they're automatically on the two seed line. And even then it's like, they're, they're the last two seed. Like we can't, we can't put them in a one seed, even if they only have one loss. And I, I don't disagree with that because it is a poor conference, but Mark few has scheduled so well with, you know, getting playing teams like Iowa early on and Baylor early, early on to really build their resume up. And I it think, if they go, yeah. And if they go undefeated and win the whole thing, I think that's a huge win for, um, like you said, the West Coast, try, maybe getting more media. I think that the Pac-12 really showing out helps them a lot, obviously. I mean, Oregon-USC might be one of the best games of the second round that we see. I mean, they're so evenly matched. They both run the ball extremely well. That's not like football. Yeah, they're really good at football. No, you know, they run up and down the court. Awesome. They shoot amazing. And the Pac-12 is kind of just mysterious, I think, to everybody who's east of the Mississippi. You know, you're kind of like, is that oh. Bill Walton? Is he going to be on there? Am I going to see him, like, you know, fall down from the rafters, you know? So, I don't know. Conference of Champions, they're kind of playing that way, I guess. And I think that that's a great point, too, if you want to see things change. Talk to the TV companies and get them to stop showing West Coast or Mountain Time games at at – midnight eastern or at 10 o'clock central like no one unless you happen to love one of those teams is going to casually watch one of those games there you know like at 10 o'clock rolls around i'm sorry but even if it's oregon playing gonzaga or whatever you know that might happen it's just weird to turn on i you know change that schedule a little bit maybe we'll see some change yeah, and if I can add one more quick thing, and this goes back to football kind of, you know, everybody talks, well, Pac-12 after dark. I'm a huge Pac-12 after dark guy. This year when they had USC playing at 9 a.m. Pacific time, which I'm sure for the players was kind of, you know, hard to get up for or whatever. I mean, obviously it's a football game, but the ratings were so much better only because everybody's awake. You know, you don't have to stay up till 1230 to catch the third quarter. Like, so I think definitely changing the start times would help a little bit. Well, that brings us to the only remaining team from the Big Ten still dancing. So, obviously, we've got Michigan. They escaped a little bit of a scare against LSU. How far do you guys see them going this year? I mean, I have them as a Final Four team, but I have two other uh, Final Four teams that no longer uh, are remaining. So, what do I know, right? This Michigan team kind of has a, 
uh, a gritty a swagger to them. And I think that is a direct result of their coach. <laughs> I think Juwan Howard has a ton of confidence. He's played on a lot of gritty. He played on one of the grittiest college basketball teams to ever exist. Mm-hmm. He's coaching for a team that I don't think many people have more love for their home school than that dude. Uh, so I think that gives them a huge boost. And you saw that um, they were dead to rights in that, in that second game and they could have gotten beat and they made a nice comeback. And with Isaiah livers getting a little more healthy um, Dickinson, um, it's still like to see a little more consistency from him. But if that Eli Brooks wants to throw up 21, 22 a game, um, he's tough, tough little, little guy to stop. And, I don't know. They kind of have a feeling about them. Doesn't seem like they care who they're playing. Doesn't seem like they care how they win as long as they're playing the next day. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think they can make the final four still. I think they're a dangerous team for sure. Um, again, you know, you might, you might question Spencer, you're on a big, you're in a big 10 podcast. Why didn't you have Michigan beating LSU? And I didn't, I had LSU winning, which they did not. So Michigan proved me wrong, which I'm happy for. But I don't think I don't think they make the Final Four just because Alabama just seems like such a more, as Marcus said, consistent team. They're a healthier team. Michigan, I think they they play a style again. They're they're not going to take anybody's shit. But at the same time, I think if you can get under their skin, you can benefit from that. I mean, Maryland kind of got under their skin. They came out and they you know they threw it down and they beat them. But I think if you can play the right way and you know kind of throw their game back in their face, they have. They definitely have um, flaws that you can exploit. And, you know, speaking on the Dickinson, his consistency, you know, he's a freshman, he's a young guy. It's his first tournament. So if you can get to his nerves and maybe exploit that, I think you have a very good shot of beating them and shutting him down or shutting uh, who's their point guard. If you can Brooks. Yes. Brooks. If you can get to him, I think you have a shot. You got to shut one of those guys down. Cause if they're both on they're definitely I mean they're one seed for a reason you know they're a top team in the country because they can score and they can rebound and play defense and all of the intangibles I would say one thing too that um, maybe hasn't gotten talked about because they had to make a little bit of a comeback but they had 21 points from a player off the bench in a game that they made a comeback in. and then Chandy Brown I believe his name is so if they can get that kind of production I mean if you're one of the top teams in the country and you all of a sudden get a spark like that off the bench, you can damn near afford to have a bad game and you still might win a talent alone. Plus a spark like that off the bench, that could be enough. So if I were Michigan, I wouldn't count on that, but it sure doesn't sure doesn't hurt when you have the capabilities like that sitting on your bench, because I still think the five starters are better than him. But if you have that waiting on your bench and can go seven, eight players capable of 15, 20, it's tough. You guys have watched them over the course of a full season. What stands out to you as sort of their Achilles heel or their weakness or what's the roadmap to another team beating them? Is it a team that is going to run and gun? Is it, are they susceptible to the three? You know, what, what, what sort of their opposing coach going to be game planning for when they go up against the Wolverines? In their game against um, Texas Southern, it was, they, they shared the love. They had four players in double digits. And even though we just talked about the Big Ten speed hurting them, if the Big Ten can control the pace, like if Michigan can slow that down and they have four or five players that have 12 points, that's a, that's a game for sure that the SEC and Alabama does not want to play. But where they run into trouble 
is the turnovers. I think it'll come down to does Michigan get beat or does Michigan beat themselves? And I think it'll be more the case of Michigan beating themselves rather than someone beating them on their best day. I think you get them into foul trouble too. Um, when the Gophers beat them for their first loss, I mean, Michigan looked unstoppable. They had just beaten the Gophers by 20 and the Gophers turn around the next week and beat them by 20. They got them into foul trouble early. So, you know, that you're forced to take um, Dickinson out. That hurts them down low. And I mean, if you have a post player who can play with Dickinson, you got a shot. You, I mean, that that's kind of what it comes down to for me is you got to control the paint. And as Marcus said, if you can, if you can get the pace up and you can keep the pace going, you can get them uncomfortable and get them on their heels. I think the recipe that I would use, I would steal a, uh, a page out of Jim Beheim's playbook and just run a two, three zone <laughs> and just see if they can adjust to that. I know that's not a popular thing, but just looking ahead to their next game, quick, the Florida state game, they have guys in the ACC who are battle tested. They're a veteran group. They know how to win games. And I think that they can, I think Michigan has a chance, obviously with every game, I think they will probably end up beating them, but you know, you'd look up and down Florida state's roster and they have the guys to do it. So out of all the players in the big 10 this year, it doesn't even have to be a team that went to the tournament, but if you were holding the number one overall pick in the NBA draft and could only select from the Big Ten, who's going number one off the draft board for you guys? I had sumo for sure right away. I I think if Garza's stamina was elite, um, I don't even know if he's got to lose any weight. I think his size is fine. He just needs to get the lungs in better shape, and I think he would be – the pick but you know i think obviously gars is going to win national player of the year and i don't think that anyone can take that away from him i think he is the best college basketball player right now um a, a much like a frank kaminsky situation a few years ago with wisconsin great college basketball player the best college basketball player but not the most nba ready which doesn't really make sense or you know the logic there doesn't make sense but that's the way it is yeah it's got to be i sumo stretch the floor he's probably not done growing yet elite shooter and plays really good defense yeah took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth so i mean he's he came back you know he had a broken nose and you know he just he continued to grind and he's just one of those players he's got it you know i don't know what it is but he's he's got it i i think if if he stays if, if you ask the same question to me in two years I think Kofi Coburn's going to be an abs. I mean, he's already a nightmare uh, about 90% of the games, but when he can do that all the time, he's going to be a, a freak in the NBA. I mean, he's got athleticism. Um, he's starting to learn a little 10 foot, 12 foot jumper. Uh, same with him when the stamina comes and when he can focus that energy, when he plays angry, he's impossible to beat. So when he can get in that mode, he he's going to be a player too down the line that he might be a first overall pick sometime soon, actually. Who knows? All right. So before we let you go, you had to assume that this question was coming here. We got to get the predictions. Based on how everything is shaped up right now, it doesn't have to be who you picked at the beginning of the tournament, but based on what you've seen, who is cutting down the nets when all is said and done as your champion? Oh. Oh boy. Um, Kyle, if I'm betting your money and I, you know, I get free money, I'm going to bet Alabama. I think that they have the guys who can do it. They can run the floor. They got great shooters. They play in a tough sec, you know, Arkansas is another team like that. If I'm going to bet my own money, I'm going to go with the safe bet. I'm going to go with Gonzaga. 
Jalen <laughs> Suggs, he's a, he's from Minnesota. Great ball handler, great shooter, great just overall basketball player. Uh, Timmy, he's he's an awesome guy down low. Um, Gonzaga's got what they what they need. You know, they made it to the championship a couple of years ago into UNC. They lost a tough game. I, I think they're hungry. I think they're ready. And I, I think they can do it, especially with now who's kind of lining up, even though we just talked up the Pac-12. They got a great shot. I'm going to go with Gonzaga. Yeah, I think uh, if I was betting your money as well, um, I, I wouldn't go with Alabama. I think, I don't know, kind of one of these weird feelings, much like how Loyola made a run to the Final Four a few years ago. I think Jim Beheim's uh, prowess and his ability to coach teams – you know, he's an all-time legend of a coach. It seems like for whatever reason, no one can play against his two, three zone in the tournament. Like literally just looks so confused, which it's the exact same one that they run all the regular season. So I don't understand it, but uh, I want to say them. I really do, but I'm going to go with Houston if I was betting your money and I can't argue with Gonzaga either. We sound boring. Like I don't, I don't want to make those picks. I tried to talk myself out of it right there. And I just can't, this Gonzaga team, um, after really being able to watch them this last few games, I mean, it might be one of the more dominant college basketball teams we've seen. And I think that might be getting underwritten a little bit because of the COVID year. Everything's crazy, which is true. This team might be awesome. I mean, this might be one of the best college basketball teams to ever exist. Potentially. We don't know that we'll find out in a few weeks, but I'm going with Gonzaga too. Unfortunately, I sound like a copycat, but they look so good. Yeah, you guys and like 40% of the rest of the country who picked them <laughs> in their bracket. I, I wish I would have picked them in my actual bracket. That would have been cool. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Marcus, Spencer, thank you guys so much for taking the time to sit down with us and talk all things Big Ten basketball and March Madness. For those that are listening right now who want to tune in to your podcast or connect with you guys on social media or anything like that, where are the best places to find you guys? Uh, the easiest places to reach us are on Twitter and Instagram at b1g thoughts and then the instagram is b1g thoughts underscore and then obviously just we release podcasts every week um just under b1g space thoughts big thoughts pretty straightforward right there that's the easiest place to reach us yeah and we try to be as interactive as possible so if any of your fans are listening reach out to us all right. Well, enjoy the rest of the tournament. We'll see how far Michigan can go. And uh, who knows? Maybe next year's the year for the Big Ten. Fingers crossed, because this one sure wasn't it. <laughs>that's a wrap for another episode of the dying sports podcast on the dying sports podcast network as always a huge thanks goes out to both of our guests today marcus and spencer from the big thoughts podcast for joining us and walking us through the carnage that was the first two rounds for the big 10 conference at march madness this year on the men's side of the bracket michigan only team left standing we'll see how far they can go as far as representing their conference but tough times in the big 10 for sure Lots of upsets, though, so that obviously means we've got a few Cinderella stories going. We'll see how far they can go, and maybe this will be the year that Gonzaga finally goes over the top after all those years of getting oh so close to cutting down the nets and raising a banner and falling just, just short. As always, if you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, leave us a comment, share with a friend. Let's keep growing this audience. We've got various social media channels. Love to connect with all of you guys and gals on there as well, too. If you're not already, make sure to follow us. 
across any of the social media platforms. All of our handles are the same. It's all at Dine Sports, D-Y-N-E-S, sports with an S at the end of it. You'll be able to connect with us on there, get some behind the scenes looks at things, insider info, contests, and more. Until next time, we've got some great guests coming up for you guys next week. We're really excited about some of the people we have lined up, so stay tuned. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Thank you.